Our Old Testament lesson this morning is found in Genesis chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 8 through 21. After the birth of Isaac, we, we pick up. And the child, that is Isaac, grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Father, this morning we come before what is to us a complicated passage in your word, and we entrust ourselves to you to make good on your promise that your word never returns void, to speak to us through it. And so we ask that your spirit would come, would open our eyes, would open our ears and our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning in your word. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We've been journeying with Abraham and Sarah for the past couple months uh, in the chapters of Genesis 12 through what will be chapter 25 is where the story of Abraham ends. We've been on this journey with them, and we've seen that indeed the life of faith is a journey. There are ups and downs. There are hardships and difficulties and doubts. But through it all, the point of the story of Abraham is how blessing will come to the world, how blessing will come to the world. And so, by and large, we expect that the life of Abraham will be a blessed life and that it will be an exemplary life for us. And indeed, there are exemplary moments in the life of Abraham and Sarah, but then there are passages like this. There are things in the family of Abraham like this. 
and we struggle and we wonder, what do you do with passages like these? We marvel and ask, why in the world should and how in the world could blessing come through this man, through this family? And it is in passages like these that our difficulty to comprehend meets with the reality that it is this family's imperfection, their moral imperfection, their less than exemplary makeup, in fact, is like a dark canvas on which the brilliance of God's purposes shine more brightly. That the point of this story The point of moments like these in Abraham's life and the point of God calling Abraham, choosing him to be the agent of blessing is not that Abraham is so heroic or exemplary, but that God is determined to bring blessing and that blessing is only secured if it comes through him. God is the main character in the story of Abraham. And in a story like this, when we struggle with what in the world is going on with this, this broken situation, Hagar and Ishmael, Abraham's other son, Isaac's uh, half-brother being cast off, sent away, what do you do with this mess? We have to remind ourselves that God is the main character in these stories. Aren't you glad that God is the main character in your story? And so this morning, as we struggle with this passage, we see two things about how God brings blessing. And first of all, we do see the struggle of the flesh to embrace God's way of blessing, the struggle of the flesh. And then secondly, we'll simply look at God's way of blessing that counteracts the flesh. So first of all, the struggle of the flesh. This is a struggle for all. It's a struggle for Abraham, even in this story. But particularly in the book of Genesis, the struggle to embrace God's work is, is typified in certain characters that are foils to the main characters in the story. You have Cain and Abel, Cain being the foil. You have Lot and Abraham. You have later Esau and Jacob. And here you have Ishmael, who is a foil to Isaac, the son of promise. And he represents in this passage the struggle of the flesh to embrace God's Promises, his way of blessing. Follow with me in verses 8 and 9. We read, after Isaac is born, that Isaac grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, weaning parties might be kind of weird to us, and please don't get any ideas from this passage. But back in these times, uh, weaning happened around two to three years old. That means the child is no longer breastfed. This is a big deal. Conservative estimates put the infant mortality rate at this point in history at about 30%. So Isaac is weaned, and the providential care of God for this son of promise is emphasized. But immediately, we see something else happening. Verse 9 says, Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. And in this we see the first part about the way of the flesh, the struggle of the flesh, that it is a way that mocks God's grace. The word for laughing here is a particular form of the Hebrew word to laugh. And it almost always refers to laughing in derision, 
scoffing or mocking. And so we find in this passage that Ishmael, as the firstborn son of Abraham and in earthly terms, the legitimate heir of Abraham's estate, mocks at the celebration that's thrown for this younger son. This little boy, two or three years old, being celebrated, the son of a 103 and 93-year-old couple. The firstborn son mocks. And in this, the narrator is revealing not just a momentary, playful, mocking laughter, but a deeper problem with Ishmael's spiritual posture. That Ishmael presumes on his natural earthly status and cannot celebrate the provision of God. It reminds me of C.S. Lewis's allegorical tale, The Great Divorce, in which he depicts or imagines a busload of people from hell getting to visit heaven. And in heaven, they're, they're described as sort of ghostly creatures. And this one particular man from hell gets off the bus uh, in heaven, and he encounters someone, a glorified saint in heaven, who he knew in his life on earth. And this particular saint in heaven happened to have been a murderer when he was on earth. And so this man knows that about him, and he's frustrated, and Lewis takes us into this conversation. What I don't understand, said the ghost, is what you're here for. Personally, I'd have thought you and I ought to be the other way round. I'd gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, and I don't say I had no faults, but I'd done my best all my life, see? That's the sort of chap I was. Oh, it would be much better not to go on about that now. Who's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was, see? I'm asking for nothing but my rights. I haven't got my rights. What I don't see is why I should be put below a murderer like you. Who knows whether you will be? Only be happy and come with me. And then the ghostly man from hell says, what do you keep arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. Then do. At once. Ask for the bleeding charity. And in this, Lewis reveals the struggle of the flesh to embrace the miraculous provision of God, the way of promise that Isaac represents. Ishmael cannot bear that another son would take his place. And the question for us, as we too struggle with the flesh and its pull, is can we allow another son to take our place time and time again? Do you struggle to accept that? Do you struggle to embrace the freedom that that brings, that God has miraculously provided? That's the first thing we see about the way, the struggle of the flesh, that it mocks grace. And secondly, we see that the flesh then wanders restlessly. Ishmael is cast out into the wilderness, and uh, we don't want to 
pretend that Abraham and Sarah were, were acting all nobly and, and all their motives were right here. But God does approve of Ishmael's removal. But what we read at the end of the passage is that Ishmael then continues to be a wilderness guy. We read in verse 20, he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran. And in chapter 25, to jump ahead a bit, at the conclusion of the whole Abraham story in Genesis, we get a period on the end of Ishmael's life, this whole kind of aside in the story of Abraham, and we find this statement about Ishmael, that he settled over against all his kinsmen. Because Ishmael, going the way of the flesh, choosing the way of the flesh, continues in his stubborn independence, as far as we can tell, and wanders further and further away from the promises of God. He settled over against all his kinsmen. This is the dynamic of those who follow the flesh, and it's the dynamic that we all struggle with, that we want to assert, we want to claim our earthly status as counting for something. But when we do, we languish, we struggle in the wilderness, we wander. That's what Ishmael represents. He represents the principle enunciated in Proverbs 3 that God mocks proud mockers, but he gives grace to the humble. But this is the way of the flesh. Pride and earthly status, mocking grace, wandering restless. It is the way of unbelief, but it is not only a struggle for the unbeliever, it's a struggle for all of us. And we're all called out of it this morning by this passage. Ishmael, even too, at the end of this story, the way is open to him to allow another son to take his place. And so let's unpack that a little bit following this passage. What is, secondly, the way of blessing that we see that God provides here? First, we see the way of blessing plainly stated in the passage, and then in a moment we'll see it graphically portrayed. So back to the weaning party for, for Isaac here. In verse 10, Sarah, after seeing Ishmael's mocking laughter, says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son, that is Ishmael. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. My wife would probably like me to preach on that one single line when God said to Abraham, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. But, but that's not the main point of, of this passage, is it? The main point of this passage and of this whole story is God's providential guidance of this mess. And we see, somewhat shockingly and jarringly to us, that God approves of Sarah's message. Cast out the slave woman with her son. And we'll see that God is not unconcerned for Ishmael and Hagar, but he does approve of Ishmael's removal in order to reiterate that it is through Isaac, the son of promise, that Abraham's offspring will be named. In other words, that blessing, that blessing that God promised to bring to Abraham and through him to the world would come. That it had to be through Isaac 
and Ishmael's removal represents the final elimination of all other possibilities, all other ways that blessing might come. And it sets the stage, as we'll see next week, for God's command to Abraham in chapter 22, when he says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and offer him up. It has to be through Isaac, and there cannot be any other options. Why? Why does God emphasize over and over again to Abraham throughout his life that it has to be through Isaac? And the answer is that God wants to leave no doubt that the way of blessing is all of him, that there is nothing we can do to secure it for ourselves. There is nothing we can claim. There is no quid pro quo formula that we can impress upon God in order to secure blessing in our lives. And so we see throughout the story of Genesis this this pattern that God has seemingly a, 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 a preference for the barren. And in just a few chapters, when God chooses a wife for Rebecca, he'll choose another barren woman just like he chose Sarah. And God, in the life of Abraham and Sarah, not only chose the barren woman, but he waited until she was 90 years old to let her become pregnant, to give them the child of promise. And then time and time again in the book of Genesis, God privileges the unexpected younger child to the place of firstborn status, constantly overturning expectations, choosing the unexpected, and in time, choosing the virgin, the unmarried, choosing the couple from Nazareth, a place that was pretty redneck in the first century world, a nowhere place, because God time and time again has preferences for the barren, for the unexpected, because he wants to leave no doubt that blessing can only come from him. But you and I would love to see or discover some formula, wouldn't we? to guarantee blessing in our lives. We would love to assert some some claim that we could, could make, like Ishmael did. We would love to master the blessing, to claim it for ourselves. But the only way that that can happen is if God provides. And so God chooses Isaac. And this whole story, this whole mess as we'll see, God does take care of Ishmael and Hagar, but this whole mess, by and large, is to make the point that God has set his affection and he has determined to bless through Isaac. There is only one way. And friends, for us too, there is only one way. There is only one way into the Christian faith, the way of trust in Jesus. And there is only one way of sustaining the journey of faith, Trusting in Jesus, claiming nothing for yourself, but allowing him to be the son who took your place. That's the way of blessing plainly stated. But then we have to touch quickly on this whole scene in the, in the wilderness here. What happens to Ishmael and, uh, and Hagar? 
And in this, we see the way of blessing graphically portrayed. Astonishingly, Hagar is in the exact same position in this chapter as she was when we first met her in chapter 16. In chapter 16, if you remember, Sarah proposed to Abraham that he sleep with Hagar, that she would be a surrogate mother to bring about the child of the promise, that they would have a child through Hagar. And then things go really sour, really quick in that story. Sarah mistreats Hagar. Hagar asserts herself over Sarah, and, and Hagar has to flee into the wilderness. Abraham does little to take care of her, as he does here. In this story, he only gives her a sack of water that she can carry on her back. And so Hagar is driven into the wilderness because of the failure of Abraham and Sarah, and she is at her wit's end. And in this, we see that God shows up for her again, as he did in chapter 16. He comes to rescue her and Ishmael, and it's instructive for us to see how he does so, because it's the same way that he comes to us time and time again to remind us of the way of blessing. He comes to Hagar and reminds her of promise. He reminds her of the promise, a little bit of a smaller promise that we are, it's easy to overlook, especially in the English, the promise that he made in chapter 16 to her when he told her, you will have a son, Hagar, and you'll call his name Ishmael. And Ishmael in, in Hebrew means God hears. And in this passage, it's interesting that Ishmael's name is never used by any of the characters in the story. But in verse 17, we read this. When they're in the wilderness and Hagar expects Ishmael to die, that God heard the voice of the boy. If you could read this in Hebrew, you could see that God, it almost literally says, Ishmael, God heard. God comes to Hagar, and then he says, fear not, for God has heard. Ishmael, the voice of the boy. He comes to Hagar and reminds her of promise. Just as he reminds Abraham earlier of the promise, you can send Ishmael away because it's through Isaac that your offspring will be named. Hagar, fear not, because remember the promise God hears. Ishmael. You know, some of us give significant names to our kids, and it's easy over time and just daily use calling them by name to forget the significance of their, their names, right? It's easy to forget the meaning of of these, these words. And presumably, it would have been easy for Hagar at this point. By the way, Ishmael is, is not a young boy. He's probably 16 or 17 in this story. It would have been easy for Hagar to forget the meaning of Ishmael's name. So it's significant that God comes and reiterates the meaning. He reiterates the promise that was spoken to her through his naming all those years ago that God hears. And friends, when God comes to us, when God comes to us, when we're struggling to embrace the way of promise, we're struggling, trying to reassert ourselves, turning inward, looking in the mirror, 
to find some source of blessing, to look for some claim that we can put on God to give blessing. God reminds us over and over again that the good news for us is the name Emmanuel, that God came to be with us. God came to dwell among us that the blessing might come, not because of anything we had done, not because we were lovely or deserving, but just because he promised, because that's who he is. Friends, we need to learn with Abraham, with Sarah, with Isaac and Ishmael and Hagar to trust God's way of blessing, that it is only secure if it comes from him. We are like Ishmael, struggling with the, with the flesh. We are older brothers struggling to allow another son to take our place, struggling to allow the miraculously born younger sibling to supplant us. But will you allow him to take your place? Will you allow another son to take your place? Will you feast? Will you join the celebration of the son of promise? That's the question for us this morning. Are you relying on yourself or are you looking to him and embracing the freedom that comes through the son of promise? Let's ask God to help us to embrace that freedom this morning. Father, we know and we have seen that your promises are sure and that you always, always keep your word, that you cannot lie, that you promise to hear and you do hear. You promise to deliver and you do deliver. You promise to bring blessing and you have brought blessing and you will bring blessing once again through Jesus Christ. Would you help us this morning to rest in him, to trust in him, to allow him to take our place. We pray in his name, amen.